Good morning, Joy Church. Good to see you guys today. You're looking particularly lovely this fine morning. Not like your normal selves, but I'm just teasing. No, you're always beautiful, at least to me. You're always beautiful to somebody that loves you, right? Aren't you grateful for that? Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, what does Bethany see in this, this visage? And then I realize, oh, I make the money. That's, that's what she sees, right? I'm just teasing. I don't make that much money. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful to be here together with you guys. And what a great Sunday already. Just so amazing in the presence of God and being a, listening to those words in that song and singing that reality that Christ's blood speaks a better word over our life. I could just preach that right now. And uh, that'd be a great, great sermon. Um, and uh, I'm just moved by, by that message and how much God loves us and what he did for us uh, through Christ at the cross. And that's what we're celebrating this week as we move into Holy Week, into Easter week. Um, so many incredible things are happening. And I'm going to give a couple of announcements about Easter, but I'm not just going to give you news or announcements. I'm actually going to preach these announcements because they're, they're more than just, hey, we need you to do something to make room for people. This is about the heartbeat of our church. Uh, in March of 2016, it's so many years ago now, it feels very distant. We started Joy Church on a Sunday night in our living room up in the South Eugene Hills. And the first message we preached was about reaching our community, our city of 200,000 plus people that do not know Christ. And, and the heartbeat and kind of that driving engine, one of those distinguishing values underneath our church and what we're about is we're about reaching our city with the gospel of Jesus and not just giving lip service to that, but actually letting God do his good work in us and out of the overflow of that, reaching into this community and seeing uh, Christ's kingdom come and his will be done. And so we talked about reaching lost people. And, you know, we exist to reach the lost. We exist to, to reach our city. And there was about 20 of us. And, and praise God, you know, in the past few Sundays, there's been over 600, closer to 700 of us on Sunday in just seven years. And we're excited about that. Obviously, it's fun to have a big family and all, all of us uh, spiritual cousins. And, you know, it's fun, you know, brothers and sisters in the house of God. That's really exciting and fun. Um, but what it really means is that God is changing people's lives. And and as people encounter the gospel of Christ, they're, they're transformed from the inside out. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed by that. It just That's what we're about. And uh, unfortunately, if you're looking for like the really like small community church where there's 50 people and everybody has to be careful of whose kids marry each other because, you, you know, it's just too close. Um, that's not Joy Church. And it's not because I'm trying to be critical of that. It's just that there's so many people that don't know Jesus. We're not trying to be a big church because we want to have a big building and big events and stuff. We want to be a big church because there's an overwhelming revival of people coming to Christ. And, we, and we're just tasked with building bigger barns to handle the flocks that are coming in, right? That's our heart. Uh, and so as we move into Easter next week, we're expecting a great, believing God for a great uh, amount of guests and visitors that are going to be coming to Joy Church. And as part of that, as the family here, if, you're, if you call Joy Church home, we're just asking that you'd make a couple of adjustments on how we attend church and do church next week um, based on this, this great harvest that we're expecting God for. So we're, we're, we're thinking we could be at 1,500 to 2,000 people next week for Easter. And uh, I believe the Holy Spirit's been working on people. We've been putting out advertisements and you guys have been inviting people. Like God is just moving and, and doing great things. But as a part of that, we need to, to have some, uh, some good uh, protocols that are in place to manage the crowds. So what I'm asking is that if you call Joy Church home, that you would make room and make space for people to come to the 10 and 11.30 service by coming to the 8.30 a.m. service. 
Now, I know some of you are like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name <laughs> because you want to you know, sleep in or whatever. But this is a great way. Honestly, it's a practical thing that we can do as a church family to make space for people that are going to come and hear the gospel for the first time or someone who has moved in from the, into the area and, and is looking for a place to, to follow Jesus you know, as part of the Joy Church family. We want to roll the red carpet out and really make space. And so if you can find it in your heart to go to the cross and suffer for Jesus by coming to the 8.30 service. And just in case you're wondering, this will be the exact same service, the 8.30. Well, I, can't, I don't even know what times it is. 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. They're all going to be identical services. There will be donuts and coffee at all services, okay? Actually, if you come to the 8.30, there's a higher chance you will be donated, right? You will be donated if, if you're at that service. If you come selfishly like a, like a sinner to the 11.30, <laughs> some of you are like not going to attend if that's the one you have to come to from how I'm saying this. No, if you, if you absolutely have to come to another service, we are grateful and excited about that. But if you can, please come to the 8.30 uh, if you're part of the Joy Church family, because we, we want to make room for the harvest. There are so many people that are going to come to Christ, and I'm, I'm excited about that. We got it? 8.30? Okay. The second thing we're asking is that with our parking lot, uh, we want to save room for people that are going to be coming in uh, right at service times. And so if you're part of the Joy Church family, please use one of the satellite parking lots that we have. KPD Insurance, United Way, the old Reynolds Electric Building, the Beauty School right next door over here. Some of you, you know, can maybe rent a bus, park at Otson, come on over here. Whatever you want to do is great. But we want to reserve our main parking lot just for guests and visitors as much as possible. If you're disabled, if you're elderly, if you need to park in the, the lots, okay? Kyle, you can't park in the parking lot, but I can't. But if you need to, you can, okay? So it's not, it's not saying, you know, you're going to be, I was going to say exterminated. Excommunicated, that's the word I was looking for. Neither one of those things is going to happen to you. But we are asking that, that we could, as the church family, park in those satellite lots. And Pastor Mark told me, it looks like we're going to have nice weather. So we're not, even suffer- we're not even walking in the rain, right? We're just strolling in the sunshine. And I could use the walk. So I'm going to park in a satellite lot. And again, the heartbeat of this is to make space for people to come to Christ. Cool? Sound good? Parking in satellite lots. Uh, another thing we're going to do this week, and this is a big one, is uh, on Good Friday, this Friday at 6 p.m., we have prayer. We're going to do that in, the, in the, the room here. We're going to take communion together, and we're going to seek God, and we're going to pray for people to come to Jesus on Easter Sunday and pray for a great impact. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Jake, I'm, I do want people to come to Jesus in kind of an abstract sense, but like, what do I get out of this? Like, what happens when we as a church make a greater impact in our community? I'll tell you what happens. Marriages are saved. People's lives are transformed. People that were, you know, busted and broken and disillusioned and distracted and in destruction and all of that get saved, get healed. And everything gets better when the kingdom of God shows up and grows in an area. And I don't believe that the hope of our world is in the political institution and in education and in the economy and business. I think the hope of the world is Jesus Christ uh, tangibly represented in his, by his church that then goes and, and makes a difference in the world. And so we want to see uh, our community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we see in the micro, I mean, how many of you would say there has been a tangible difference in my life as I've come to Jesus and what he's done in my life? Okay, that's in the micro. Then look at the macro of what God can do in a city when that city gets impacted by the gospel. So if you, when I talk about coming to prayer on Good Friday and I talk about parking in a satellite lot and I talk about coming to 8.30 and not being a pagan and coming to 11.30... 
you know, <laughs> I guess I wasn't making that clear enough. The reason why is because, not because, you know, oh, we just want to have a big event so we can go, yeah, we had a big service. No, we want to see, we want this environment to be, the table to be set for people to come and, and feast on the goodness of God and be a part. And so these are God's guests. These are people that he died for, that he loves, that, he, that, that we're making space for. Amen? Last but not least, on our Easter announcements, uh, we have these invite cards. You, you probably had one in your seat. If you didn't, we have more available at the next track. And uh, these invite cards are a, go- a great way to just ask the Holy Spirit to open a door for you this week to invite somebody to church. Now, you might think, well, nobody's interested in coming to church. You know, I don't have a friend or family member that I'm particularly thinking of right now. Um, we'll pray about that later. But But honestly, people will come to church. And here's what the scripture says, that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment to come. There are people all across our city, all across our community, that are asking whoever they're asking. They might not be praying to God. They might be praying to the universe or a higher power or or the whatever, or their Instagram guru. I don't know who they're praying to, but they're looking for hope. They're looking for life. They're looking for answers. And the Holy Spirit is moving in people's hearts. And you never know when that piece of paper becomes the bridge for somebody to come and hear the gospel. And so, church, listen, this is something I share with first service, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak this to me, and I think it's, a, I think it's an in-time word for right now. The Holy Spirit is not moved by emotion or passion. He's moved by obedience. And so you go, man, what does that mean? It means when I will go, take that step of faith and just be obedient to invite somebody to church, the Holy Spirit uses simple acts of obedience to do Extraordinary things that only he can do. Amen? And so seriously, don't underestimate the power of inviting people to church. So many people come to church because they get an invite card, a friend mentioned it, you know, a barista you're driving through somewhere. People's lives are transformed by this. We have people in our church that I know who came because somebody invited their sister or brother that was working at a Dutch Brothers, and then that person didn't come, but their family came and got saved and is part of our church. So that happens a lot, and it's really powerful. So that's what we're asking. Amen? And we'll pray about that later. Pastor Kyle is going to encourage us a little bit more with that and remind us because we, found, we, we learned this thing. We read this book that if you tell people things twice, they do it more likely. So we're going to do that. Amen? Awesome. I don't know why my jokes aren't landing today, but it's probably because I've been solo parenting for the past two days. Bethany's on a trip, and if I could just get gift cards to restaurants, that'd be incredible. Um, <laughs> just kidding. My kids are the best in the whole world. They're so easy. They just play video games. All right. <clears throat> you laugh like I'm joking. Uh, we're in a series called Unboxing. And we're talking about letting people experience and see God's goodness through us, through our lives. Well, this series is about evangelism, sharing our faith, which is comes right from Christ. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And when he said that, there weren't any disciples. There was just a couple hundred people that that knew Jesus. And and so the act and the the mission of the church founded 2,000 years ago by Jesus himself was to go and to preach the gospel to every nation and to make disciples and to invite people to know God. But what's interesting about evangelism is that for many Christians, that the idea of evangelism is like instant cringe. It just instantly is like, ooh, that, that's for someone else. It's not for me. And, and to be completely forthright with you, I am one of those people. I, I actually am introverted, and I don't love sort of talking to people. <clears throat> so anyways, 
This is just true, right? I mean, is that okay? Maybe it's not. Jake, you need to be more like Jesus. I do. But being in public and meeting new people, it's not really my, my total jam. Uh, it just isn't. And yet I'm compelled with the love of Christ working in me to be more than I am in my flesh and to be more like Jesus. And so evangelism isn't something that I have to do and overcome my insecurities and overcome my inadequacies and my uh, immaturity and my introversion and all this kind of stuff. Um, actually, it's something I'm honored and privileged to do because Jesus has done something in me and I, I, can't, I can't not share it. Uh, regardless of, of my natural wiring and how I am, I don't cringe when I think about sharing my faith because I love Jesus and I love people. And so I'm moved into a greater level of life. How many of you think we could all use that, right? To be moved into a greater level of life by truth and by goodness and by the beauty of God moving through us. And so we could say it this way, that effective evangelism does not come from the scraps at the bottom of our spiritual life. Sort of that guilt or pressure to, you know, do something for God. I think because we're Americans and we're, we're definitely sort of transactional in the way we think and the way we operate, and uh, we can oftentimes look at like God gave us this gift of salvation through Christ and now I have a responsibility and a duty and I owe God something as if we could ever repay the debt that he paid on our behalf. The reality is we don't evangelize because we owe God. We evangelize because we can't not. It's a very different type of a mentality. We don't do Christian disciplines because we're going to make God love us more or he'll approve of us more or whatever as if spitting in the ocean added anything to the depth. God doesn't, he doesn't need my help to do his purposes in the world. He invites me into his purposes uh, to be a part because I'm a son in his house, right? Because you're a daughter in his house, he invites you into the family business. And so effective evangelism doesn't come from like, I just do it because I have to do it. No, it doesn't come from the scraps at the bottom of our spiritual life. Spirit-led or spirit-filled evangelism overflows out of the abundance of God's goodness in my life. As the gospel gets to me and as the gospel works uh, in my life, it can get through me and it's expressed to other people. Now, last week, Pastor Matt Moult was here sharing with us and that was incredible. I love that message. I actually went and listened to it again on YouTube because I just, I liked it so much. And I love Matt and I appreciate him and, and the word he brought to our church. But if you didn't hear that message, he did a great like six or seven or eight pieces of what the gospel is. And he kind of opened up our eyes to the fact that the gospel message is not just, hey, if you believe this, this idea about Jesus, you get to go to heaven when you die. That is a seed in the middle of a, of a whole harvest of things that the gospel is. And the gospel is a lot larger and bigger and broader. It's about God's plan in human history and how to, he's redeeming the whole world and our place in that story. And so as we, we talk about the gospel today, I just want to give you two thoughts and a scripture. And we're going to unpack this a little bit and then we'll go get something good to eat after church. So the first thought is this, that God's message, the gospel, which again, I'd love you to go back and listen to Matt's message to kind of get that full rounded picture of what the gospel is. The gospel is carried by God's people. God's message is carried by God's people. And let me say it this way. When God sees a problem, he always solves it in, a, in the same way. He solves it incarnationally, which is a fancy way of saying in flesh. When God sees a problem, he, he sends a person to solve it, okay? And I remember growing up in church and we'd hear these, I'd, we'd have this thing called Friday Night Alive and we'd be praying and somebody would get up on the mic and they'd, you know, be like 
they'd sing a special. That was what we did in church at that point. And then they would prophesy and they'd be like, and I just see the, the spirit of God coming like a flood, like a wind, like a fire, like a dragon, you know, whatever. Just coming, you know, establish thy spiritual metaphor of choice into that place. Coming from Eagle Point down through White City in the spirit of God, like a flood flowing into the schools and the businesses. And, and it was all really spiritual. And I remember as a young kid being like, well, what does that even mean? Because like if a, if a wind like blows through, I just feel like, whoa, I probably should put the trampoline away. You know, I, mean, I should probably batten down the hatches. I mean, if a flood, and, and obviously we, we, we know there's, the Spirit is used metaphorically. We talk about the, the move of the Spirit. But what, 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 would, what would I would hear was like, what does that even do, right? What, what happens? Here's the reality. When God actually is going to change something, Does he move by his spirit? Yes. But then what does that mean? It means that the spirit of God comes and speaks to someone or fills someone or comes upon them, as the scripture says, and then a human being does something with it. So for example, Israel is in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and God doesn't send an angel. He goes in a burning bush, and by his spirit, he talks to an 80-year-old dude named Moses with a stutter, and he says, Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. Now, God has plenty of angels and spirits he could send to do stuff for him, right? But he doesn't. Now, does, do angels exist? Do angels carry messages and talk to people? Yes, but there's always a person on the receiving end of what God is doing by his spirit. And we over-spiritualize things a lot of times where we, where we say, you know, God's going to move in our city. He's going to change our, our nation. We need to pray and, and ask God to move. And God is answering that prayer. And can I tell you how I know completely 100% that he's answering that prayer? You want to know? Go ahead and put your finger on your forehead. You are the answer to that prayer. If you have ever prayed, God, would you change this city? God, would you change this nation? God, would you help our schools? God, would you, would you save our, our politicians? Please, God, do something with them. Maybe God needs to remove them and then, you know, whatever. But If you've ever prayed for any kind of deliverance or change or transformation, God answers that prayer every time by saying, yea, verily, I have appointed you. I I put you in this situation. You are called to be that change. God solves problems incarnationally. So he wants to deliver Israel. He sends Moses. uh, Later in the story in the Bible, there's a giant named Goliath, and he's taunting the armies of Israel. And they're all cowering in fear because here's Goliath. (laughs) Goliath, he's nine feet tall. You know, he's, he's this massive beast of a human. He's this giant, and he's, he's cursing God. He's cursing the armies of Israel. And all the army of Israel is cowering in fear, and King Saul's like, what are we going to do? And, and all of a sudden, here comes this shepherd uh, young man, David. He's 17 or 18 years old. He's got a, uh, the, the weapons or the tools of a shepherd. He has a, a slingshot, which was not like a goofball weapon. This was actually like elite weapon, weaponry of this time period. And he says, hey, how dare this guy curse God and curse God's people. Like, I'm going to do something about this. And God uses a person to bring deliverance. The Holy Spirit didn't swing the sling and throw the rock and hit Goliath and then cut his head off with a sword. David did that. Are you with me? How many men are more into this message after I use that, the word? If, if any message you hear as a man in church that uses, uh, and then he cut his head off, all the men are like, oh, oh, yeah, I like it. At least me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too violent, but I like it. Anyways, God moves in people. He uses people. When he saw the problem of the world and he looked at all of us lost in our sin and, 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 the, and the, the depravity and the 
injustice of our world, he didn't just send an angel. He put himself in human flesh. He sent a person. So are you hearing me? God solves problems incarnationally. He sends a person, which is to say that the greatest witness for Jesus and the actual pathway by which God, the actual mechanism by which God will save the world is going to come through his church and it's going to come through his people. God's message is carried, displayed by his people. We are the living epistles. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, the only letter of recommendation that we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written on our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. The question is this, am I displaying God's goodness and the, the impact of the gospel? Is it being amplified through my life? Jesus said that you are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. We are that billboard of God's goodness. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we happen to have a rather large billboard that hangs directly above my head. And have I ever thought about it coming through the roof? Yes. <laughs> While I'm preaching, you know, if I ever say something too shocking, then you know, God judged him. He was a bad pastor. But anyways, we have this massive billboard. I'm telling awkward jokes today. I apologize. I don't know. It's just... I didn't have enough sleep. But anyways, uh, there's a massive billboard above us. And I got a call from a pastor friend in town a couple months ago. And he was like, you guys are uh, advertising some interesting things there on that billboard. And I was like, "Uh, what are you talking about? He's like, "Uh, Chippendales. (laughs) Not the Rescue Rangers. Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. You know, anybody with me on that? I grew up in church, so I didn't even know the other Chippendales. Okay, some of you need to get your mind out of the gutter. Those were the Chippendales I knew, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. But Chippendales is like those male dancers, right? And they've called me a few times to be a part, but I said no. But um, <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I wouldn't be. A, uh, I know I have the body for it, but I wouldn't be appropriate as a pastor. And uh, <laughs> how to shrink your church in one sermon. All right. <laughs> So this pastor goes, yeah, the, the, you guys are like, you have Chippendales on the board. And I was like, you know, to, to, just so you understand, we don't own that billboard. That, that, that they rent a piece of property from us, but that, the messaging and what goes on that billboard is not from Joy Church. And now I have new fears and insecurities to think about what does our city think about our church. So just so you know, we don't own that billboard, okay? If, if God would raise you up to buy it and we could put good messages on there, you know, about hope and life, whatever, that would be great. Um, but we don't own it. And so I explained to him, I said, hey, we don't own that billboard. Uh, so whatever messages you see, do not reflect the views of Joy Church Incorporated. Here, here, you know, we don't, what, what, we need to write this in our clauses or whatever. We don't, that, that is not our, our message. But I think about that billboard and I think about how big it is. And it's like unmissable as you drive on I-5 and this bright lights on this billboard and whatever they decide they're gonna, they're gonna you know, put up there um, is their business. But it's, it's sort of unmissable. And the reality is we are the same as God's people in this community. We are the billboard of God's goodness. We are the billboard, the picture that people see of God, the picture they see of Jesus. One of the things that I'm so inspired by with you guys and, and just Joy Church in general, just our congregation, is I, I don't think you on an individual level probably recognize the impact that we in the aggregate make on this city. 
You know, when you think about all of us have our own insecurities and fears and like we think, oh, I hope people don't really look at me and see. But you know what? God is actually shining in your personal life. But us together as a church community and as a family, God is, is shining a bright light into our city that dwarfs what that big billboard and their Chippendales messaging or whatever can do. God is working through us and we carry that message The thing about the Christian faith and about the gospel being preached and expressed is that it was never meant to just be purely intellectual. It was always meant to be intellectual and belief-based, but also experiential, something that you would take part in. That's why the writer in Psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, that's the experiential side of it, and see, that's the observation and the belief element, that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. And so God's message is meant to be lived out and experienced through his people. When God sees a problem, he solves it incarnationally. The second thought I want to give you is this. You need to preach the gospel to yourself first. Where do you cut your teeth on evangelism? Where do you learn what to say, how to say it, and what needs to be believed? You preach it to yourself first. This word theology is the science or the study of God. It used to be called the queen of sciences. Because historically, people that recognize that the earth didn't just come from nothing uh, and time plus slime plus chance, uh, they used common sense and, and were able to realize, okay, if we find the fingerprints of design, there must be a designer. Therefore, this entity, God, uh, when we study him and who he is and what he's like, that's the queen of sciences. It's sort of like the lens by which everything else is opened up, which is why Harvard and Princeton and all of these places originally started as seminaries to train people for the glory of God. Now they train people for I, God knows what, but, uh, but when they started, that's what they were for. And theology was seen as sort of this queen of sciences, as it were. It was like the crown jewel of the education system because how you see God and what you think about God influences and informs everything else in life. And what's interesting to me is that theology can get uh, really pigeonholed as like, well, that's for pastors and that's for sort of professional clergy or that's for really, really Christian people, really saved people, to think about theology. But actually, every person, whether they are a Christian or not, has a theology. It's their lens or the picture by which they view God through. And the other thing that happens with our theology and why we need to think about it and why we need to uh, let it be developed and let God continue to build the right view of God is not only is it how you see God, But because of what I just got done saying, that we carry God's message, your theology is how other people see God through your life. So what you believe about God is what other people, how they filter and see God and they see his message and his kingdom through your life. I wish it wasn't that way because I would rather just like shrink into the background and be like, just look at Jesus, don't look at Jake. But that's not how it works. Because when God wanted to save the city of Eugene, he sent the Holy Spirit to speak to a young man from Medford and his wife and their little girl to come and move here. Hello. When the Holy Spirit was going to work in this city, he sent the, he sent you and he put you in your workplace and he put you in your school and how you see God is important for you, but it's also important for other people because they're going to see God through you. And so what we have is that we have a world that, that has mistaken caricatures and, and wrong views and wrong visions of God because often the Christian person that they see has a wrong theology in how they view God. Let me explain this. See, if you see God as sort of this wrathful Zeus-like, he has a lightning bolt in his hand, 
and he, all he wants to do is burn everyone in the lake of fire, and he likes it, and he's laughing, <laughs> like a supervillain, you know, and he's, he's smiting, and, and that's the only picture you have of God. And, 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 then, and that's where we get these things. Well, like, you know, why does God hate gay people? And why does God hate uh, people? You know, I, I've made mistakes in my life. And why is God so hateful and mean? And why is he misogynistic? And why does God hate women? I mean, these are the real things people think. And we got Christians who think the same thing. And so people see that lens. That's how they see God. And then on the other side, in our culture today, even more likely is, God just loves everything. He doesn't care what you do, who you do it with, what you were thinking when you did it, or what gender you decided to be in that moment. God doesn't have any thoughts about anything. In fact, God is so nice that he literally has no thoughts about anything, and he doesn't even care what anybody does. Well, what happens when somebody, like, totally messes me over? Well, God just loves you, and he loves them, and he just laughs. (laughs) God is just like the sissiest, worthless God ever. I'm caricaturing these, right? I'm, I'm extreme, making them extreme, but do you get what I'm saying? And that's the lens, because if that's your theology of God, you have a God who is, pure, you know, just sort of allowed to be defined in 21st century definition of love, but we don't look at biblical covenantal love, sacrificial love, or we have a God who's like just pure wrath and there's no, we don't, we don't understand the mercy and the beautiful tapestry of God, this beautiful picture of God we see biblically where, yes, God judges sin. He has to do that to be good and loving and just but as hard as that none should perish. Like if we don't get the full picture, the full lens, we filter and what people see through us is not a picture of God. So that's why theology matters. And that's why we need to preach the actual message of the kingdom, the actual gospel. We actually need to get a biblical version of Christianity. This is a very different message than I preached in first service, but I go with what I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. You know, we, we live in a culture in which People are very flexible and fluid with their definition of truth and, their, and that, that gets pushed over onto Christ. And so people will say, well, my God wouldn't do that or my Jesus wouldn't act like that or say that or whatever. And they're referencing a standard. And I want to ask people, how did you learn about Jesus Christ? Because I don't know of another source other than the Bible. So if, I, if I'm parroting unbiblical things and I'm popping those on Jesus like labels... What, what, where did you get this idea of Jesus? Because the only Jesus I know is the one that I see in Scripture who makes me uncomfortable for various reasons. Because when I want to get too judgmental, he calls me to the heart of mercy and love. And when I want to get too loose, he says, no, there is a hell. And people go there because they choose not to follow him. And I'm like put in this uncomfortable place where God does care what I do with my body. And he does care who I do it with. And he does care about his holy law. And he is full. He is holy. And he is loving. And these are not in disagreement with each other. They exist in the tapestry of God because he's real and he's a person. So our theology matters because it's how we see God and relate to God. But it's also how other people view and see God through us. I'm moved as a pastor and just as a follower of Jesus that I, I don't want my life and the lens that someone's looking at God. I want them to know the God that I know, that loves me so much and forgives my sins and it redeems me. But I also want them to know the God that calls them to a higher level of life, to live in truth, because that's where you find fulfillment and peace and freedom. That God doesn't rubber stamp and checkbox everything I want to do or think at any given moment. He's a father that loves me and is actually forming Christ in me and his vision for life is good and beautiful and true. And so these thoughts, 
God's message, the gospel is carried by God's people. And then secondly, we need to preach it to ourselves first. We need to understand it. We need to embrace it. What an impact that has on our witness for Christ. And here's my takeaway today, my assignment for you. I think that while we tend to, to land with this sort of in this tension of like understanding the gospel and letting it live in us and through us and, and shine it to other people, is that we, we haven't fully saturated our life in the goodness of God. See, even God's judgments, even God's righteousness, even his holiness is actually good, like a fire that scourges the pot so the bacteria doesn't come and infest all of your food, right? Uh, and we don't see God's goodness. We don't see his vision for life. But I want you to go through this week, if you would, in Psalm 103, I don't have time to preach all of this. I could preach about it for hours because it's so rich, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach about it for minutes, mere minutes, mere seconds. But if you would go and preach the gospel to yourself this week, you can do it with this passage, Psalm 103. David is in an act of worship and reflection. He's celebrating who God is and the richness and the beauty and the complexity and the amazing goodness of God. And in Psalm 103, he says, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 3, He forgives all my sins. All of them? Yeah. What about the ones I'm going to commit in the future? Those ones too. What about my same-sex attraction? Yeah, he forgives that. What about my heterosexual uh, binging attraction. Yeah, he forgives that. Pornography? Yep. Murder? Yes. Adultery? Yeah. What about addictions and drugs? What about when I can't, I can't get free in something? Does he forgive me? Yes. Does he love me? Yes. He forgives all my sins. Like, God is scandalously merciful. He's scandalously good. Sometimes I'm like, God, could you be more like God? Because you're letting these people get away with something. And you, my sense of injustice is all triggered as an Enneagram one. I want people to suffer for what they did wrong. If they, and yet then when I go to the throne room of God and I say, I'm here in my time of need, Father, I need forgiveness. Because I screwed it up again. He forgives all my sins. You could sit in that for like 10 years. <laughs> he forgives all my sins. This one, yeah. It's like green eggs and ham. Nobody has invented a sin that God doesn't have mercy and grace when you turn to Christ and take it to the cross. Now, does he want you to continue to live in that sin? Does that mean he doesn't have a law? Does that mean there's no standard and no consequence? No. He's good enough to actually spank you when you go wrong because he loves you and he's forming your character, but he forgives our sins, all of our sins. That's literally one line out of like 50. And it says, David says, and he heals all my diseases. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a broken world. There's sickness and disease and mental illness and relational sickness and breakdowns. And even creation, the scripture says, groans, longs to be recreated. It like wants to get back to what God originally intended. God is a healer. He heals our diseases. We believe that God is a healer even on this side of eternity. Sometimes a moment of eternity breaks through and we pray for somebody and cancer takes a vacation or or somebody's leg grows, or they, they had a headache and now they don't. You know, somebody's foot gets healed. Like that's, we pray for that. We believe in that. Believe in healing. But what I, I know ultimately is that all sickness, all disease, all pain, all depression, all of that will go away when Jesus sits on the throne in the new creation. And he's a healer. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. 
What is the actual problem at the root of all things? It's death. When, when sin entered the picture in the Garden of Eden, the clock started ticking and death began to permeate everything. Physical, reality, emotions, relationships, all of that. And he redeems us from death. The word redeems means that you cash in a coupon that is representative of a particular amount of value and you redeem it, right? When you go to Dairy Queen and you say, hey, I have a free coupon for a blizzard. <laughs> Big spender. And you redeem that coupon. They say, okay, well now we're going to give you the commensurate value for that thing that you traded in. When Jesus gave his sinless, spotless, perfect life as the Lamb of God on the cross, which we're going to celebrate on Friday, the crucifixion, and he gave himself, he redeemed the commensurate value for all humans throughout all of history that they wouldn't have to die and spend eternity without God, but that they could have eternal life and live forever. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He redeems us from death, the gift of eternal life. And he crowns me with love and tender mercies, David says. This word crowns means to encompass, to surround, to wrap us in mercy and love. Like if you think of God as like this cosmic Zeus figure and he's just like, all he does is hate people and he's, and he's mad at everyone. No, he's pure and he's holy. But actually his heart is that none should perish. That's what the scripture says. His, he is compassionate and long-suffering. He is a rech apayim, as we learned a couple months ago, which means what? Long nostrils. When God gets angry, he takes a really deep breath. It's a really, really deep breath. There's a story in the Bible about a group of people that were really making God mad because they were super wicked. They were so wicked, the scripture says, even the ground itself wanted them gone. It wanted to throw them up. And God was talking to his servant Abraham and he said, I'm not going to kick them out. Their cup isn't full and it will be 400 years until I lose patience with them. That's how when, when it says God is long-suffering and he doesn't strike, he doesn't move in anger, that's, that's the kind of timelines we need to think about. That's incredible to me. And David says, look, this is what he does. He redeems us from death. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. And he, he encompasses us. He crowns us with love and tender mercies. That's the God that I know. That's the God I serve. That's the God that I can't stop talking about. And it's not my duty to share my faith. It's my delight because I'm a son of the house and it's a good house. Come on, it's a good house. The very best day without Jesus is worse than the worst day with Jesus. The, to know God and to be restored into relationship, you know it in your bones. You know it when you lay your head down at night that there's more to life than just to get ahead, get by, get even, right? There's more, and you long for that. People have said, you know, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. That's what we're talking about. And when we share our faith, when we unbox it, it's knowing it for ourselves and seeing God and learning more about him and growing in that knowledge and growing in that relationship. And out of it comes an unstoppable evangelist that beats the heck out of some big billboard. Your life shines like a billboard. You carry God's message wherever you go and you're, you're anointed to go. You as an individual and us together as the family of God in this city, we are displaying God's goodness in our lives. That is our call. That is who we are. That is what we do. But we got to preach it to ourselves. Come on. If you would really believe in the gospel and you would really um, embrace it and understand it, maybe for you this message about forgiveness of sins, you're living in some shame. You're living in some guilt. You're looking in the mirror and you're going, ah, you know, you're, you're, screw, you're screw up. You're a mess. Like you, you just, you're a mess. You know what? You might be right but you're not fully right because there's a deeper message. And the God that gave his life, sent his son for you. Jesus died on the cross. He redeemed you for who you are made to be, not just the person you've been. 
And so you need to also preach that message of the truth to yourself. Yeah, you were a sinner, but now you're a saint. Do you still make mistakes? Yes, you live by the grace of God. Come on, you might need to preach that gospel to yourself. You might need to preach that gospel to yourself about healing. You might need to preach that good news about redemption from death. Maybe you're living in fear. Maybe you're deathly afraid of the economy and deathly afraid of COVID. I don't know why you would be. We found out it was mostly just the flu. So probably stop being afraid, but maybe you are. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's awkward day. I don't know why. It's like every once in a while, it's awkward day. I can't help myself. That's why we have elders to, you know, help me out later. Like, Jake, just, you're doing okay. Just keep working it. Don't say that on Easter Sunday. Maybe you're living in fear. Maybe you're living in this and you need to hear this message that he redeems us from death, that he has victory in and through your life. So preach the gospel to yourself. We carry this treasure in earthen vessels. And that's where our unboxing comes out of. That's where our witness comes out of. Amen? Amen. God's message is carried by his people and we need to preach it to ourselves first in Jesus' name. So the assignment is read Psalm 103 this week. Sit with it. Let God speak to you through that whole psalm and begin to embrace and believe the fullness of what God has done in and through us. Amen? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would help everyone eat the fish and spit out the bones because I was being weird. And uh, I ask that you would help us to just hear what your heart is today, God. Lord, I'm passionate about us as a church understanding and knowing you and you, the real you not some filtered version through culture, but you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that has been faithful through every generation for thousands of years that calls us to repentance because you love us. That, that Lord, you love our city. You love Eugene. You love Springfield. You love Lane County. And we're praying, God, for a great harvest. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful men and women here today, that, God, you would reveal yourself in a, in a clear way, Lord, as we read Psalm 103 this week, that we'd see you for who you are, what you're like, and that out of that abundance of your goodness and how great you are, that, Lord, our evangelism and our witness would flow from that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a, one more minute. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus, and I haven't, I haven't joined his family. I haven't put my trust in him, but I want to. I want to invite you to take that step of faith today. And all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out or make you come forward or anything like that. But, if you're, but I want to pray with you and then we'll give you some next steps. If that's you and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I need him to save me from my sins. I need him to wrap my life in mercy. Just raise your hand so I can see. Thank you so much. Come on, anybody in this place, just raise it up. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Come on, anybody else? Lots of hands up. Anybody else? Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray with you. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life put my trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.